1: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
2: Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution. Personalized M&Ms. Just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors, name, and even their photo printed right on some M&Ms. It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order.
1: Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret?
2: And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg.
0: Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day, Canada. The next day, Thailand. Then, New York. London. You just never know. This week, we come to you from Tampa, Florida at the Epicurean Hotel. I'm a big water guy, so every time I come to Tampa, I got to get out in the water. My next guy knows all about the water. Because he gets in it. That's right. He does. He's the associate curator for the Florida Aquarium. Eric Hovland. How are you, sir?
3: I'm doing terrific. Thanks for having me, Peter.
0: Uh, You're also a shark guy.
3: Oh, yeah. Sharks are my passion. I'm the shark guy.
0: All right. But do we have sharks at the aquarium?
3: We do have sharks at the aquarium. We have a number of sharks at the aquarium from the tiny bamboo sharks all the way up to our sand tiger sharks. In fact, there's a really cool relationship between those sharks.
0: And nurse sharks. And we have
3: nurse sharks, too. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I went
0: swimming. I mean, I went swimming with the nurse sharks in uh, the Galapagos. Fantastic! And they were the
3: tamest. They they just were were fearless and friendly. They are, you know, and that's actually true of most of the sharks that are out there. Sharks kind of get a bum rap. They get some bad press, and that's why you know people ask me like, Eric, why sharks? And I say because everyone already loves dolphins. <laughs> they they love <laughs> sharks too. <laughs> it's a world I want to live in.
0: Flipper, flipper. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, uh, but bottom line is. You have to know the difference between sharks.
3: It helps to understand sharks. And it helps to understand that sharks are you know, when when we're entering their environment, we're really entering their environment where where man is out of his element because you've got a whole other dimension of up and down and the surprise.
0: Now you're originally from Wisconsin, not known for sharks.
3: Not so much. We're pretty short on sharks in Wisconsin, although a bull shark has been caught as far north as Illinois. So there's a little <laughs> factoid for
0: you. How'd he get there? He swam. I I know that, but I mean how did I mean He's not native to that that location.
3: Bull sharks can move into freshwater. They can regulate their blood chemistry so they can actually move into freshwater environments around the world. That's one of the reasons they've gotten a rap is because bull sharks are in places you might not expect them to be. But it's not a reason to freak out over sharks.
0: Well, moving beyond sharks and getting yes. into a definition of terms, you know, there are amusement parks that feature... Sea life, and sure. then there's there's an aquarium. It's a That's big right. it's a big difference.
3: There is in that the aquarium, and especially what we're known for at the Florida Aquariums, we're we're engaging folks in the the backyards that they didn't even realize they have. The wilds of Florida. Florida is surrounded three quarters by water. We have more coastline than just about any other state. And we're so dependent on water from the 100 million guests that come to Florida every year to all the wildlife out there, which provides not just food and entertainment and sport, but the very air that we breathe comes from healthy coral reef environments. About every other breath, you should say, thank you, sharks and healthy coral reefs. That's where the oxygen is produced.
0: Well, from an educational level, then, what am I going to learn at the aquarium in Tampa that I would never otherwise get?
3: You're going to learn at the Aquarium about the diversity of species that's out there. A lot of people are already thinking about just what you said, flipper there. They might have sharks on the mine. But even learning that something like corals, like the staghorn corals, are so prevalent in the coral reefs of Florida 20 years ago and are on a fast decline. Well, we have a program at the Florida Aquarium that can help people better understand how we're helping to you know, grow those corals in our, in our setting of our coral conservation or, or Center for Conservation. And help protect those coral reefs, and how important those are to everybody on the planet, and, and the things that you can do to make, you know, a, a commitment to helping protect our waterways. But even you like actually, cutting out but you
0: actually have to make a firm commitment. I remember when I was growing up on the East Coast in Long Island on the Great South Bay Sure. there was an abundance of oysters an abundance of clams yep. an abundance of seafood with not with you could never run out well guess what yeah it's running out well not only was it overfished and overclammed then we had hurricane sandy and what sure. hurricane sandy did is it tore up the seabed right, and right it tore up the seabed so that the clams were were and the oysters were no longer protected from the crabs that wanted to eat them. yeah. And as a result, it's almost empty now.
3: And that's what I think we're learning too. We, we've seen the same kind of um, results that uh, when hurricanes do hit a coastline, if you remove the natural barriers there, like the mangrove forests that are so prevalent here in Florida, you take that away, now the water can wash completely over the land. It made a big difference in, in Katrina, it made a big difference in Ike and Galveston. And then you see that too, if you develop a coastline and you don't leave some of those natural barriers there and those healthy beaches there. You're gonna lose you, a lot more. You, you Pay the cost in the end yeah
0: what's the most fascinating exhibit you have there
3: i would say and probably, don't say sharks no 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 that mm. would be mm. way too biased way too biased um the wetlands gallery in the wetlands habitat it is a glass dome it's enormous and it houses a whole home and a host of animals from free-flighted spoonbills that have been making a comeback in tampa bay which is a sign of a healthy recovering environment but they're making a comeback in our very dome we've got babies from two years ago that are still you know flying around the habitat but we've got alligators and otters and fish of all types from florida it really is and it's a mangrove forest that's over 20 years old i've been happy enough to be there over 20 years myself and watch those grow from their little sprouts to 30 foot tall mangroves it is truly a living home and habitat and the thing
0: is not only do you see that growth when you come in there and put and and you tell that story
3: and you put it in perspective then people can, can really respect that and that's what we are doing, is connecting people with the wilds. So they've got to learn the stories of every one of these animals. And from the, the sharks, to the turtles that we rescue and release every year, to the corals that we're doing our very best to protect so that we can still protect that environment for generations to come.
1: Toto, I am feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
0: My next guest, like so many other people I know, came to Tampa by accident. It wasn't part of the plan. He was uh, trying to get into the Navy. They washed him out as a fighter pilot. And he took his uh, $200 discharge money, got into, uh, what kind of car was that? A 1966 Dodge Dart with no air conditioning. As it should be. (laughs) And one suit. And nowhere else to go. (laughs) And drove to Tampa. Well, guess what? In 2011, he got elected mayor. His name is Bob Buckhorn. Mr. Mayor, thanks for coming.
4: Peter, thanks. Thanks for coming back to Tampa. And you're still here? I am still here. It was the best decision I ever made. But it was just like prompted by the Navy. It did. It broke my heart because I had always aspired to be a fighter pilot. And when they misdiagnosed me and discharged me, it forced me to to Plan B, which there was no Plan B. Are we now changing the name of Tampa to Plan B? I guess so. It's uh, <laughs> you know, it's not often that someone who doesn't grow up in a city or spend most of their life is able to get elected mayor. Uh, but aren't this, you the first one? I think I'm, if not the first, I'm pretty close. Yeah, but but I think what it speaks to is is Tampa's ability to welcome talent and even less talented folks like me. To be a part of this community. I mean, there were no barriers for entry for me. You know, I scratched and clawed and fought hard to get here. But no one stood my way and said, you're not born or raised here. You're not a, a tampanian by birth. So therefore, you can't be the mayor. Um, they said, no, give it your best shot,
0: son. And here we are in the third largest city in Florida. Absolutely. and the 53rd largest city in America. But who's counting? Yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me say, st- speaking of large cities, and, and I said this to you off air, but I am going to say it to you on air. I love your airport. Thanks the Tampa Airport for those people who have not flown here you're in for a pleasant surprise for people who have flown here you already know what I'm talking about it's actually an airport that works you know Peter we are very proud of that
4: airport and I think the folks that fly through there recognize what an amazing place it is it's always rated as one of the highest uh, user friendly traveler friendly airports and and what folks. We'll be happy to know is that we're in the midst of a billion dollar expansion with another two billion dollar phase two coming over the next two years. So yeah, but don't change what works. Now. No, we're not. We're not. And that's really a model for. And if you can imagine this, that design has been timeless, basically. And other airports have used that design. And what's ironic about this is the sons of the original architect that designed that airport are working now on phase one and phase two of the expansion.
0: All right. So you've been here since what year? Nineteen eighty-two. Okay. So you've seen the airport grow. I have. What makes it still work, though? What about the design of that airport says to you, this is cool? It's convenient.
4: Uh, ease of use is is absolutely there. We get you. And it was the first uh, shuttle system that was at an airport. From the terminals. From the terminals. Yeah. And so that shuttle system gets you to baggage claim rapidly, and it gets you right out to your car. So the time that you are in that airport, as you were saying earlier, um, is minimal. Um, and what we're attempting to do with the expansion is to give you more food offerings, give you more retail offerings, to make the experience more pleasant than it already is for you. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. It is the design of that airport that makes it unique.
0: And it's only, what, 15 minutes away? It is, 15 minutes from downtown Tampa. Amazing. What's the thing that changed in, in Tampa that you think is, is, the other than the airport, the coolest thing going? You know, we
4: came out of this recession that had literally knocked us to our knees, um, and we had to make a fundamental decision as to whether we were going to get up off the mat and come back. Um, And we did, and I think the transformation of this city over the last six years has been nothing more than absolutely amazing. You know, Tampa's got a swagger about it. Tampa's got an attitude about it that's not cocky, um, but that recognizes that we are a city with immense potential and our mission is to fulfill that potential. And we've been through our ups and downs. You know, you remember when we were declared America's next great city in the late 80s and, and we didn't quite get there. But I think we're And working, you didn't quite get there then because? Because I think leadership, I think uh, the economy, um, I think there were conflicting and competing views about what it took to be um, in that top tier of cities. I mean, we're not competing with New York or, or LA, or we're competing with emerging Sunbelt cities, you know, the Austin, Texas's, and the Charlotte, North Carolinas', and the Nashvilles' and the San Diegos'. We're competing for talent we're competing for um, intellectual capacity we're competing for opportunities and I think we compete as well as anybody in the country and that's different than what it was five years ago Mr. Mayor we talk about growth and every mayor
0: wants growth right but then you can get in trouble
4: you can Um, you got to make sure it's the right growth and you got to make sure it's the kind of jobs that allow our best and brightest to remain here. I mean, I've got two young kids. I don't want them to have to leave for some other city. So the type of growth that occurs is important. And how you manage that. Are you seeing kids leaving? We were six or seven years ago. They were fleeing. We were a donor state and a donor city to other places that had really gotten their act together. Um, That has changed completely. I mean, young people are flocking back to Tampa in droves. So um, I worry less about our ability to compete because we can do that. What I worry about is... Uh, Rampant growth, unregulated growth, growth without infrastructure uh, accompanying it. And so, you know, we have a great niche here. Um, We don't need to be the biggest city in America. We're not going to be the biggest city. You don't want to be. No, we don't, absolutely not. But I do want to be the economy that's driving the Southeast United States, south of Atlanta, and I think we're capable of doing that. Big international port, big international airport, a very diverse community that celebrates diversity as a strength, not as a weakness. Um, so I think we've got the capacity to do it, but you're absolutely right, Peter. How you manage that and how you plan for that is absolutely important. You mentioned the port. Uh, have you ramped that up? We have, uh, on both the, the cargo side and as well as on the cruise ship side. I mean, it is the largest deep water port in the state of Florida by a long stretch. Port Miami is only 900 acres. Port Tampa Bay is 5,000 acres, so we have a lot of room for growth. We just invested in two new gantry cranes. We are the closest port to the Panama Canal, which has obviously been widened. Yeah, get out your maps, boys and girls, and just do a straight line from Tampa. and You're going to hit Panama. Absolutely. And so we we potentially have the gateway, the the ability to be the gateway um, to Central and South America for for different reasons. In Miami, Miami's got its own niche, but I think we have the capacity to do that. We speak the language. We're a multicultural community, and we're proud of that and we celebrate that. Um, so it's 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 a city that's on the rise. A city that is on the verge of something really, really special. Plus, you've got ships now sailing from Tampa to Cuba. We do indeed. We have, uh, I think you're going to be on one of them shortly, and that is going to open up that market. Although, I will tell you, it will be a long time before Cuba is a significant trading partner for the state of Florida or for the country. Their ability to to pay, their ability to get credit is limited. Yeah. Um, Until there are fundamental changes in the government, I don't think you're going to see real freedoms occur. Uh, but, you know, it starts with people to people. It starts with
0: educational exchanges, and, and that's happening. You know, we talked about the airport. Let's talk about airlift, because without airlift, it doesn't matter how good the airport is, you suffer. If you take a look at the airlines that we have in America, I'm talking about the the legacy carriers. We've gone from eight major carriers that used to fight for, fight for 88% of the market share down to four of them that essentially own it. So your challenge, as many challenges are to other mayors like you, is how do you keep the airlift even at the level it's at, let alone how do you increase it? Well, our, what we
4: have tried to do over the last six years is expand that capacity and and to put Tampa on the global map. We did not have international flights of any significance six years ago. So we made it a But mission. you are an international airport. We are, and, and we made it a mission for the last six years to go out and recruit um, international flights to come to Tampa. Uh, we were successful with COPA Airlines, which
0: really opened up Central and South America. And we've done a story on COPA. If you look at the map, If you think you can't get there from here, if you don't mind going through Panama City, Panama, right, guess what?
4: You're there. It opens up the entire Central and South America. And they told us no for three years. And we dogged the CEO, Pedro. 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 love Pedro. See, I know Pedro. There you go. We dogged him for three or four years until we were able to make the case to him. And it was a very data-driven case as to why Tampa made sense. Uh, We've expanded airlines with uh, Icelandic Air, with Eidelweiss Air. Um, we are aggressive about it. We're incentivizing these airlines to come here. Um, and once they look at the numbers and they see the reach in this Tampa Bay area, and it doesn't compete with Orlando. This is an entirely different marketplace. Um, it's an easy decision for them. So I think we're expanding our offerings, um, expanding our routes, routes domestically and internationally, and I think it will bode well for us. And yet the distance between Tampa and Orlando is no big deal. It's not, it's, it's 90 miles. It's an entirely separate market. Um, we attract a lot of people who fly into Orlando for the theme parks, but then want to come to the beaches down here. So we're, we're actually advertising in Orlando with a campaign that calls uh, Tampa the Bay Area Orlando's beaches. <laughs> and it's working. <laughs> well, you know what? It's not one dimensional anymore. It's not. I mean, people can bookend. They can indeed. And it's easy to rent a car and come down here and experience the beaches and then go back to the theme parks. What have you done in terms of your own building codes here? to make sure that you don't become out of control in terms of development well it's interesting we're trying to focus most of the development in the urban core where the infrastructure is already in place i mean our downtown has just exploded in growth but that's a good thing that's where you have the density that's where you can go higher that's where the infrastructure is in place we finished the river walk i mean it is a very different downtown peter than than it was even a year ago when you were here before you know we're obviously moving to green codes and encouraging people to build to lead certified uh, standards. So we really are being smart about this. Um, we don't want the sprawl that takes place when people move to where the dirt's cheaper or where you drive to, you can qualify for a mortgage. We want the bulk of the growth to occur in the urban core, because I will tell you, if we're going to attract millennials and if we're going to attract, attract intellect, intellectual capital, those young people want to live in the urban core. They don't want to live in the burbs. So we have to build a downtown that's attractive
0: to them. In fact, they don't even want a car. They don't. I know. Mr. Mayor Bob Buckhorn of Tampa Thank you for joining us, we really appreciate that You bet, Peter, anytime That that music means we're, we gotta take a a flight one of these days Let's do it, Okay. upside down Uh, (laughs) You first Hello, Uh, this is your captain speaking There is
3: absolutely no cause for alarm
5: There's a motor running Head out on the highway Looking for adventure
0: when i come to tampa and when most people come to tampa most people don't think about museums most people don't think about about history um, some people don't even think florida other than you know Ponce de Leon has a history well tampa bay has a lot of history and and joining me now the curator of history at the tampa bay history center is Rodney Kyle Powell how are you sir
1: doing fine thank you for having me
0: well you heard my introduction you started to smile when you when you heard what i said but I don't think I'm lying.
1: Uh, you absolutely are telling the truth. Uh, we see a lot of visitors who come through the History Center, and they really are surprised to learn how much history that Tampa has and that Florida has. Uh, there's the perception, of course, that Florida didn't start until air conditioning in, in Walt Disney World. And Wait a minute. you tell me me that? <laughs> not That's not the story? <laughs> there's a couple of things that happened before.
0: Although I will tell you this. I remember going to Orlando a couple of years ago and saying, Hey, I'm going to take you down to Old Town. I said, <laughs> Old Town? When's, how far back does that date? Nineteen fifty-five. Does it stop at
1: Main Street on, on Disney?
0: Yeah, but you go back a little further than that.
1: Yes, uh, Florida's history. And you mentioned Ponce de Leon. Uh, you know, we at the History Center and, and others in, in Florida history circles, you know, like to poke fun at the folks up in uh, Jamestown and Plymouth, because uh, Florida's recorded history is just simply older. We go back further uh, with Ponce de Leon in fifteen thirteen, with uh, two of the. Uh, first real explorations of what is now the United States, both starting here in Tampa, one in 1528 and one in 1539, and then, of course, St. Augustine in 1565, the oldest uh, continually occupied European settlement in the United States.
0: I love the way you describe that. <laughs> uh, you have to
1: use those qualifiers.
0: <laughs> yes, you do. But, you know, talk about Ponce de Leon. I mean, when I was going to school, all I heard about was the Fountain of Youth.
1: Well, it, yeah, and you, if you learn about anything in Florida history, uh, it, certainly as a as a non-Floridian even, uh, you learn about Fountain of Youth in 1513, and then fast forward in American history to the, uh, the Pilgrims landing at Plymouth Rock. And uh, and American history is largely English history, and, and that's what, in Florida, we have to, to push against. And, of course, nothing against English history, it's, it's where our founding documents come from as a country, but as a, a history, in a recorded history. you got to go Spanish, back further. Absolutely, sure. the Spanish occupation of much of, of, of what is now the United States was called Florida. Uh, Georgia, South Carolina, even up into Virginia, uh, was on some very early maps, all called Florida. And uh, and so Florida history really is American history.
0: All right, so tell me, where's the Fountain of Youth? I have to know.
1: It's uh, down Howard Avenue, almost to uh, <laughs> Newport.
0: You know, That's where they have sodas, at the Fountain of Youth. <laughs> exactly.
1: And that's the fun thing about uh, St. Augustine. Uh, of course, we're in Tampa, but uh, St. Augustine has a tourist attraction called the Fountain of Youth, which is a con- completely contrived thing but it's on top of an incredibly important archaeological site do uh, they know that they do now they, don't they? think they was i pure coincidence at the time when they when they opened the fountain of youth but uh, but it's it's incredible what is underneath this goofy tourist attraction, it's an incredible archaeological site of a native village.
0: Are they letting people know that it's there?
1: They are now, yeah, that, that's, uh, that the, the archaeological site is there, yeah. They're starting to explore that more now, but they still are talking about the Fountain of Youth and the, what, what Ponce de Leon was looking for, which he wasn't looking for that, looking for gold, looking for glory, uh, but certainly no Fountain of Youth.
0: You just completely disabuse me of the...
1: I know. Oh. I do that a lot to people.
0: But you are a Florida native. In fact, you're born and raised here in Tampa.
1: I am, yeah. Not many of us around. What keeps you here? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I really, I like the direction that Tampa is going uh, as far as uh, how we're growing. I, I just love the city. My family's here, of course, and that that's a big anchor, certainly. Uh, I love traveling, and so uh, I, I get kind of my fix of, of, of the North by going to New York or Boston, uh, Chicago. I, I love, uh, you know, the, the true Southern history. Say of, of of South Carolina, going to Charleston or Savannah, or New Orleans. Uh, but I always come back home and, uh, and Tampa just is home to me.
0: Now, the History Center's
1: got what, three floors? We have three floors of, uh, of exhibit space and we're actually expanding the building kind of as we speak. And we will add more to our third floor, which will be a larger permanent gallery space. But we have two floors of permanent gallery space right now and one uh, temporary exhibit space. Well, when
0: we come back, I, I want to talk to you about maps. Oh, I want to talk about your exhibit because I'm fascinated with that. Uh, you know, I, I live on a place in New York uh, in, in the summers called Fire Island, and everybody says, no. "How did Fire Island get its name?" It's because somebody misread the map.
2: Hello, and welcome to Alaska Flight Four Thirty Eight. We'd like to tell you now about some
4: important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane
2: is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. But I
3: would want
0: Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30 day trial. We've been speaking to Rodney Hyde-Powell, the curator of the history folks at the Tampa Bay History Center. You've got a good exhibit out there that's opening soon on what? On maps.
1: Yeah, actually, the, the exhibit just opened. It's a history of Cuba and Florida through maps. It's called uh, Gateways to the Caribbean.
0: Or Revising History. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope not.
1: I think Divisying well, history. history.
0: I always like to say, you know, uh, histories are, uh, the history books are written by the victors. Absolutely. You know, so if you want to see revisionist history, you look at the history of maps, because people, you know, the word territorial ain't kidding, you know.
1: Yeah, and it's it, looking at maps is a great way to trace history. And you really, you know, of course, you look at a map today to see where you're going. But old maps show us where we've been. And it's uh, in the, sh- the, the exhibit we have really demonstrates that. And it really demonstrates, for our exhibit, the connections that have long existed between Florida and Cuba.
0: How far back do the maps go?
1: The earliest map we have is 1513. Whoa. And so from when our friend Ponce de Leon was here, uh, certainly not, so, uh, not documenting fount- wait, that. Was the
0: Fountain <laughs> of Youth on the map? Come well,
1: on. Well, funny, Florida isn't even on the map, maybe. Uh, the map is actually based on the... Uh, the information gleaned from the um, the columbus voyages and so w- well speaking
0: of columbus mm-hmm. i have to interject here you know we were all conditioned by bad history books when i was going to school that columbus was a hero mm-hmm. that columbus was this good guy i have been doing my reading on columbus mm-hmm. lately he was not such a good guy
1: well certainly in our standpoint he wasn't the well hello guy. what other <laughs> standpoints do you want to talk about well you Fourteen ninety-two is a different, uh, a different I mean, what, he, age. But, I uh, mean, this guy was a murderer. Yeah, he was a rough guy, and, and, and we still also,
0: celebrate Columbus Day. Well,
1: we, yeah, and it's interesting that he, as far as anybody knows, died convinced that he found a route. To the Indies, he did not believe he found a "quote unquote" new world.
0: Listen, this guy stumbled into everything. He everything was accidental,
1: pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So let's hear it for the Vikings. Can we hear it for the Vikings? Well, and that's you know, if if they had come to Florida, I think I'd (laughs) give more emphasis (laughs) on them. But uh, but yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. You know what we what we learned in in school about all, all these early heroes and all these early stories. You delve a little bit more, you find out a lot of it just isn't true, or is only partly true. And yeah, your your reference to the Vikings, absolutely, they're the ones who, if anybody other than Native people who'd been here for ten thousand years, found the New World. It wasn't Columbus.
0: Right, now you're going to put me into a depression about Davy Crockett. I know we're <laughs> going to, no, but the bottom line is you have to look. The beautiful thing about history is it finally gives you enough time to find out what really happened.
1: Yeah, having that separation, and and like you said, you know, you use the word revisionist uh, or, earlier, but you know, there is new evidence. There's new information. Your history happened but the evidence of what happened continues to to come out and so we continue to learn more as as more evidence comes to light and so i mean
0: even even if you're talking about relatively current history there's not a year that goes by that another book doesn't come out on richard nixon for example and you learn stuff that you didn't know before that helps you to paint the picture
1: yeah that there's always new information that needs to be uh reviewed as simple as that
0: so in all of your years there at the History Center and all the stuff that you've done, what's the most surprising exhibit that you have that people walk out of there going, I had absolutely no idea?
1: I, I think uh, the exhibit we have on the Seminole Wars, uh, we think about, again, in Florida, uh, there's a university, Florida State University, whose, whose uh, mascot is the, Seminole, oh, the Seminoles. Yeah. And so people know the Seminoles through that, basically. Um, but there was a... A very long, costly Indian war, the longest and costliest Indian war in American history, fought here in Florida by the U.S. government against the Seminoles. And Tampa was the military headquarters for the U.S. Army during that war in the 1830s and 1840s. And and most Americans, if you ask them, where are the cowboys and Indians, they'd say the West. And we had that here first. Uh, we had cattle drives here before they had cattle drives out west. Well, there are cowboys still in Florida. Come on, absolutely. Where the cowmen? It'll like be called cowboys.
0: <laughs> you know, stop it. I'm just. I'm serious. Well, oh, there's a new group called cowboys to men, but that's another story. <laughs> exactly. But. But no, people don't realize that that culture was here. Oh, yeah.
1: And that's the thing. It's still here. And it's because it's the Spanish. The Spanish are the ones who started it. The Spanish brought cattle. The conquistadors. Cattle, uh, well, and the vaqueros. Yeah. And so, but the, the Spanish brought cattle. The Spanish brought oranges, citrus to Florida. And so two of our largest industries, aside from people coming here. Uh, Did the Spanish bring Anita
0: Finch? Bryant to Florida? That's another story. Well, yeah. exactly. Now I'm dating myself. <laughs> yeah, really. I'm really dating myself <laughs> on that one. My my engineer over here is looking at me like, who? Yeah. But you know who I'm I, talking I do. about. It's, yes, you
1: that's, do. <laughs> that's a funny one. <laughs> you li- you're still laughing about that one? I am. That's I know. No one talks about Nina Bryant anymore. Maybe right I least, think it's the first so. time
0: I've mentioned Anita Bryant in my entire life. Yeah. I think. Yeah.
1: Well, there's a Jimmy Buffett song that uh, he ends with. She hope he hopes that she doesn't cover one of his songs because her politics and his politics are a little bit different.
0: I, yeah. No kidding. No <laughs> kidding. But the bottom line is. So much history started here that Florida doesn't get the credit for.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And again, it's because not only we have the reputation for being a, a tourist destination and we have kind of the air conditioning and, and Disney World benchmark to go on, but so few of the people who live here are from here or even here kind of multi-generationally. In Texas, New York, Virginia, you have people who have long-standing histories in those places and a lot of pride in those places, rightfully so, but we're really hoping that people can, can gain a pride and appreciation for Florida history as well. My, my baby beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the radio. With no particular place to go.
0: My next guest, I think I can call him a Tampa Bay resident at this point. He uh, he's actually been with a newspaper, which is an amazing in and itself, 25 years. He joined back in 1992. He's a columnist for the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Times. Ernest Hooper, how are you, man? I'm good, Peter. How are you? Okay. And, you know, you heard uh, earlier in the show we were talking about the, the most adventurous cities in, in
5: America. Tampa Bay didn't get on the list. Tampa didn't make the list, and, and there, there wasn't a city in Florida, which surprised me a little bit. Yeah. But you're here. I am here. You're adventurous. I am adventurous. What keeps you in Tampa? You know, uh, I love the water. I love so much Me too. Uh, going across the bridges and just those uh, beautiful watery vistas are spectacular. And I make it a point to see a sunset uh, out, out on the Gulf at least once a month. Now, you started as a sports guy. Yes. And then? Um, in 2001, I made the transition from NFL and Bucks writer to community columnist. And that's what you've been doing ever since? That's what I've been doing for the last 16 years. So you are all about the community of Tampa. I am. I am. Uh, love it here. What makes
0: it a community? Anybody can be a city, but what makes it a community?
5: You know, I like to call Tampa the biggest small town in America. Uh, we have a lot of people who live here. We have a lot of different businesses. But there's still a, a very much uh, a small town uh, atmosphere. People know each other. Uh, there's a, a close-knit uh, uh, vibe here that I really appreciate
0: and you know you've been here long enough to be able to almost be
5: your own tour guide right uh, yes I, I I feel like there's a couple of spots I always like to take people to when they come to visit all right tell me about one of them uh, I love Oaklawn Cemetery
0: okay stop right there
5: that's what you're wait <laughs> I've just come to Tampa and Ernest is taking me to a graveyard I've taken a number of people there, and they're always impressed. Uh, you know, the best way to learn a city's history is at its oldest cemetery. Especially if the gravestones tell the stories. Exactly, and that's what you have at Oaklawn. Uh, so many historic uh, uh, tombstones. It was, uh, I like to call it Tampa's first integrated institution. Uh, dates all the way back to I the heard people I heard people were dying to get in. Just, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to go there. I, I apologize. Okay, keep going. Well, you know, um, there's there's all kinds of people buried there the uh uh the one of the founders of our cigar industry uh, Vicente ebor who brought Ybor the cig- city yeah, yeah who brought ebor who brought the cigar industry from Cuba to here is buried there uh there are slaves buried there there are confederate soldiers buried there there are Cubans italians uh just about everyone so basically it's dead diversity exactly <laughs> I, just, I just thought' I'd mention that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we're very diverse, but they're all dead. Yeah. 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 But but it's still I, I think it speaks to that to that era. It does. It does. Okay, so you've got me in the cemetery now.
5: Where else are you gonna take me? Um you know, another spot that I love to take people to is uh, Cuba. I love to take people to Cuba when they come to Tampa. Now I know what you're going to tell me because I've been there. I got you. I got you covered on this one. It's
0: that one little piece of land.
5: Yes, it's, it's a, that. It's about what, It's the size of a small refrigerator. Yeah, it's, it's mean, a it's a postage stamp piece of property that. It's in, an Ebor city, isn't it? In in Ebor city, it's called Jose Marti Park, and uh, the owners deeded the property to the Cuban government. Um, in the mid-1950s before Castro came into power. It was Batista. It, yes, they deeded it to Batista. And the interesting thing is that there's there used to be a home on this piece of property and uh, legend has it that um, the Spaniards, when the Cubans were trying to overthrow the Spaniards back in the 19th century, Martí was poisoned and he was nursed back to health at a home that used to sit on this park. And so that's why it means so much to the uh, Cuban people, and it's still officially owned by the Cuban. It's still officially owned by the Cuban government. Now it is, it is a frozen asset that's been frozen since the embargo was Back placed. Sixties, yeah. yes, was placed on Castro, but uh, officially, it still belongs to Cuba. It's still part of Cuba. So you can come to Tampa. Take a picture in front of the Jose Marti statue and tell all your friends you've been to Cuba. <laughs> and you've done that how many times? <laughs> oh, too, too many to count. Too many to count, Peter. Now, speaking of Cuba, there's the bunker. The bunker is, is my spot. The bunker is where I love to uh, do my work. I like to go there in the morning, get a nice cup of coffee or a cafe con leche. And of course, the, the Cuban tostada, the Cuban tostada, Cuban cheese toast. Melted, of course. Melted, of course. And uh, you can get you can choose between American cheese and Swiss cheese. I like the Swiss cheese. I think that's more authentic. And um, the Bunker's just so eclectic. It's got such a cool vibe. I love to uh, do my work there.
0: Yeah, they got Wi-Fi, and you st- they can't get you out of the place.
5: They have great Wi-Fi, and I have closed <laughs> it down a couple of times.
0: <laughs> now, the Cuban sandwich, though, is different.
5: Now, the Cuban sandwich is That's also right? made with the Cuban bread, but it's different. And uh, it dates back to uh, those 19th century times when the cigar factories were bustling. And, and it's a very much a point of pride here in Tampa. And we make the Cuban a very specific way. Our city council actually passed a law saying this, these are the official ingredients of a Cuban sandwich.
0: It's sort of like the French with champagne
5: i think so i think so and and the interesting thing is we have a rivalry with miami and miami argues that uh they are the originators of the cuban sandwich but our historians insist that the cuban sandwich originated in tampa well your historians would insist well of course <laughs> uh but but we've done a lot of research and, and we believe the the cuban sandwich originated here
0: now one of your favorite places is also one of mine in fact uh the owner will be coming up right after you on the show and that's
5: Andrea Gonsmart from the Columbia. From the Columbia, which uh, is known for many things, of course, but uh, at the top of the list is their Cuban sandwich. And uh, you haven't gone, you haven't visited Tampa until you've come here and had a Cuban sandwich. And you can start at the Columbia.
0: But they also do something else there that actually I did with them last year. I actually went in the kitchen and made one. It's the devil crab.
5: Well, yes, the devil crab is is another special delicacy here in Tampa, and the Columbia serves it. My favorite spot. Uh, Michael Bracato, would get mad at me if I didn't mention it. It's Bricado's Sandwich Shop. I've always sworn by their devil crab. In fact, uh, I took their <laughs> devil crab into a devil crab showdown uh, in our newsroom once and uh, prevailed uh, by scant points, but Bracato won out. <laughs> and what's in that sandwich? Well, it is uh, blue crab that is seasoned and then breaded. It's about the uh, size of the palm of your hand, and they were very popular back in the uh, early 20th century. There used to be a guy on a bike who would ride around and sell them for 10 cents a piece. And uh, they were straight from the Gulf. Uh, people would go out in the bay and uh, catch the blue crabs and use them to make the devil crab. And you know, like every other city, or like many other cities, there's been a craft beer explosion here. There's been a huge craft beer explosion here. It began. Uh, with a guy named Joey Redner, who uh, started with Cigar City Brewing. And uh, he just, it, it created a ripple effect. And now we are uh, known very much for our craft beer here. So basically, after 11 o'clock in the morning,
0: I can find you with a Cuban sandwich and a craft beer.
5: Uh, on, on many days, Peter, indeed.
0: <laughs> Shh, don't tell my boss. No, too late now. <laughs> What's the one Secret dive
5: place that you have
0: that, that that we haven't talked about that you like hide out in that nobody
5: knows about. You know what? Um, there's a place uh, further north of downtown on the river called uh, Rick's on the River, and it's a terrific, kind of uh, throwback, salt of the earth. Uh, restaurant, they have uh, seafood, and it sits right on the water. Most of the seating is outdoors, and you can look at the river and watch people come and go. They have a little uh, marina there, and uh, that's a place I love to frequent. If you are continuing on to
3: another
2: Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care.
0: I Every time I come to Tampa, I hang out at a place owned by my next guest, um, and it's not in Tampa particularly. It's in Ybor City, uh, started there in 1905, I believe. Um, it's uh, it's 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 an iconic place, and yet they're now everywhere. They even have. They even have one of these, or maybe a couple of these, at the airport, right? Yes, we do. That's Andrea Gonsmart, fifth generation owner and operator of Columbia Restaurant. How are you?
2: Very good, thank you.
0: I mean, your place in Ybor City,
2: you you walk in there, it goes on for like miles. We are a whole city block. Unreal, but didn't start that way. No, started as a small corner cafe and grew room by room.
0: 1905,
2: and now you have separate rooms, right? Yes, we have um, 15 dining rooms. But who's counting? No, I'm
0: not. (laughs) And you're known for what? What's your signature dish?
2: Probably the paella a la Valenciana, which is the national dish of Spain.
0: And and you make that, I mean, it's huge.
2: Yes. The other one's probably the Cuban sandwich or the 1905 salad. It's a, it's a toss-up.
0: Now, okay, but I know about the 1905 salad, but not everybody else knows about it. Explain. Okay,
2: the 1905 salad is iceberg lettuce, Julian ham, and Swiss cheese, fresh tomatoes, green olives tossed with our infamous 1905 dressing, which is Extra virgin olive oil, lots of garlic, oregano, a little bit of white wine vinegar. It was actually voted one of the top 10 salads to make a meal by U.S. Today. And I
0: order it without the ham, and I'm in. I get it with turkey. Well, I just get it
2: without any meat at all. That's okay. Because
0: yeah, with that dressing, I don't. I could eat cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's true. But in a given night, right? You, you can give me weekday, weeknight, or weekend night. How many people are you serving?
2: Ugh. You know, if we have 1,700 seats, you've got to figure we're easily going through probably 2,000 covers. You know, we open at 11 o'clock. We don't close until 11 o'clock. We're open 365 days a year.
0: You're even open on Christmas? Yes, we are. Why?
2: Because, you know, ironically, we're very, very busy. A lot of people have come to the Columbia now for so many years. That's their tradition, which we love being a part of their tradition
0: exactly and you've got the places at the airport now
2: yes we do we have four concepts there
0: but then you've got a place that i'm going to check out i have not been to it yet called Ulele, which is named after an indian princess
2: yes it's very much like the pocahontas story where she saved a, ve- a young spanish sailor from being burnt at the stake now is this
0: legend or story come on
2: this is legend <laughs> according to my father richard
0: (laughs) all right tell the tell the legend
2: um so juan ortiz who was a spanish explorer her father was going to who's the chief was going to burn him at the stake and she saved him so and they fell in love and that was basically how it went
0: now you've grown in ybor city to uh, a full block right what has happened to the rest of ybor city what what changes have you seen that 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 you think are pretty cool
2: you know ybor city is Hands down, my most favorite area in Tampa, and you know we've been. By the pri- way, that's
0: spelled Y B O R. If anyone yes. wants to know, yeah.
2: Um, and we've been privileged to be able to be the anchor of Ybor City, and Ybor City has gone through so many different growing pains, and now they really are in a great place. Um, there's lots of art going on there. A lot of businesses are moving in and making that their corporate headquarters and their office home, and so you're seeing a lot more activity during the day. Lots of people going out to lunch. Um, there's a great nightlife with great places to get cocktails, go out to dinner, there's a movie theater. Ybor City kind of is a, got it all.
0: They've also got the old social clubs, right? The old German clubs and stuff like that. Yes,
2: and the Spanish and the Cuban and the Italian.
0: Amazing. In fact, unless I'm crazy, there's a piece of real estate in Ybor City that actually is still Cuban.
2: Yes, there is. Am I right? Yes, there is a small, I mean, it's a tiny little fenced in area that's got a, um, that literally has the plaque that says this is a piece of Cuba.
0: And it's actually owned by cuba yes
2: it is which is (laughs) kind of crazy who
0: knew but there it is Uh (laughs) uh-huh and now you've got tampa being the one of the gateways to cuba you can sail.
2: it's you're very right out of the port of tampa you can now go to cuba
0: what's changed on your menu
2: anything you know there are a lot of the same things because we would hate to disappoint our customers coming back looking for that item there are always a few items that change out but you know what we try to focus on is being who we are you know, making our customers happy, being what makes us happy, being true to ourselves, not, you know, keeping up with the fads. We are who we are, and we're proud of that.
0: I mean, I would guess, and please tell me if I'm wrong, but you really haven't changed the decor. No, we've
2: given it it facelifts, so that way, you know, it still looks like a brand new version. Of
0: 1905. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, not a lot of neon.
2: No, no, I mean, it is all about preserving what was given to us and being the caretaker, as my father likes to put it.
0: Now, how many members, I mean, how many generations? We're talking five generations now.
2: Yes. So, my great-great-grandfather. Same recipes. Same recipes. Well, a lot of our recipes were developed over the time as well, you know, with um, many of our, our chefs that we've had have created a lot of our staple items.
0: What's your oldest recipe item?
2: You know, I think it'd probably be, you know, that's kind of putting me on the stop spot, maybe the snapper Alicante you know, outside of the, the standards like arroz pollo, ones that were already existing ones. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondry Plus.
4: Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss